Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs. Hey, welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. Yes, this is the podcast where we empower you, the filmmaking entrepreneur. And a great way to get started is to get the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion while doing it. It's available in paperback, Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. And in fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com. That's survivetheimplosion.com. Hey, Film Trooper listeners, this is Scott McMahon. In this episode, uh, the indie film coach, Ron Newcomb, and the founder of the VIP Film Summit, you can learn more about his summit coming up at VIPFilmSummit.com. Anyway, he sits down with two of the producers from Hamlet in the Golden Vale, and they speak about using a public domain written Shakespearean masterpiece, as well as taking live theater and turning it into a film, all while doing it in Ireland, as well as they talk a little bit about uh, VR stuff. So without further ado, we'll just get right into it. Here's Ron Newcomb and the producers of Hamlet in the Golden Vale here on the Film Trooper Podcast. So hey guys, hey, Ron Newcomb here with the Film Trooper Podcast. I am the indie film coach and I have a treat for you. It is going to be my filmmaking friends with a pretty cool, unique film called Hamlet in the Golden Veil. And it is exactly as it sounds. It is Hamlet and it is modern and unique. And we're going to talk about that. It is Yuri and Taylor. And I'm going to ask them to... uh, just introduce yourself, guys. Tell us a little bit about your filmmaking journey and what kind of led you to this point. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for having us, Ron. My name is Yuri. And it's Taylor. I'm Taylor Myers. Uh, I'm the uh, director of, of Hamlet in the Golden Vale and the artistic director of Roll the Bones, which is the production company that uh, brought this thing to life. Yeah, and I'm Yuri. I'm the producer on uh, Hamlet of the Golden Veil, and I've worked on some other Roll the Bones projects with Taylor in the past. So, how did you guys? Uh, how did you guys connect? And have you guys done predominantly uh, film in the past, or is this was this kind of a newer venture for you guys? Uh, this is our first. Uh, this is our first film. Roll the Bone specializes in large-scale immersive uh, theatrical work. Um, so we create experiences that are generally uh, well, that are always you know live. Um, and this idea was spawned originally from you know from an idea that was kind of more in that genre that grew into what it was. Um, in terms of how Yuri and I got hooked up, maybe he can tell that story because it's kind of a fun one. Yeah, that was great. Um, I uh, we yeah we predominantly do theater, the both of us really. And um, I had come to New York City after college, trying to you know meet people and meet artists and just try to get into theater however I can. And I found myself very disheartened uh, and and not really hadn't met people that I really connected with. And then I was almost about I almost given up. Hmm. And then uh, I stopped making theater. I stopped acting, and I just kind of saw shows every now and then. And someone invited me to see The Seagull at 6 a.m. in the East River, uh, like overlooking the East River. And I was like, that sounds crazy. Sure. And so I went, and I saw this amazing production of The Seagull that Taylor had directed and was in. And uh, I just basically was blown away and kept following Taylor after that and seeing his shows and seen other things and eventually we started to work together over a long period of time we got to this place where we make work together in the way that we do so there's a couple of things that i really really like about that uh, story all already out the gate one is that 
you know, one of the things a lot of times is us indie filmmakers, I find that artists doing is they're trying to go from like the level that they're currently at to like, you know, a less talent. That's who they're trying to reach to. And I always try to encourage people to try to reach the, the tier just above you. You know, because they're much more likely to be able to take conversations. And I've done the same thing. I've met some phenomenal friends and filmmaker, one of which is Scott McMahon, who started Film Trooper podcast and the website. And I was a fan of his first, you know, and then I kind of reached out to him. And sure enough, because we had the same affinity and passionate love for filmmaking, we developed a kinship and which sprung into a friendship where he felt comfortable enough where he said, hey, man, why don't you come on and and do this podcast with me? And so it was very, very similar in scope. And, and then you, you talk about the whole, you know, giving up. And I don't think there's an artist out there, much less a filmmaker or an actor, because I came into film via acting, too. So mm-hmm. I have that and, and went to L.A. And it, this is in 1994 to 95. And I thought, man, I'm out of here. You know, this is no bueno. <laughs> I'm giving yeah. up. I'm done. You know, and this was pre-digital so it truly was kind of an all or nothing with the film element. And I thought that that was it. So I think uh, I can really resonate and speak from that, too, from from kind of that given up thing. And then recently I did this venture with some friends that we called a cinematic experiential event where it's a we tried to started with the hypothesis of what would it look like if you could just walk into your your favorite fantasy film or your favorite fantasy book. And so a few weekends ago, we did a fully immersive fantasy event where we had, it was kind of like a medieval Ren fair meets a murder mystery mm-hmm. and, you know, a la Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. So we, we had everybody dress up in period clothing and even had weapons and a sense of the ability to do combat and it was called Weekend Warrior. And of course, as a filmmaker, I'm filming all of it. And we have a lot of great footage. But it was this immersiveness. And that is a very interesting thing. This journey is uh, uh, storytellers that we're branching into. So well, talk to me a little bit about, uh, uh, yeah, that immersive theater company and how that got started. And what is that about? Like, if I don't know anything about it, talk to me about it. Sure. That. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Um, so one of the things I would say is, is that, uh, there is, I mean, obviously all of these, uh, genres are different ways to tell a story, right? And so, so whether you're going to see a play or whether you're going to experience a bit of virtual reality, or you're going to watch a film, or you're going to, you know, go to an immersive experience, all of these are, are just different ways for a human being to experience, um, a different perspective, uh, and to, to experience a story. Um, there's a company uh, based in London called Secret Cinema um, that mm-hmm. you'd probably be very interested in if you haven't heard of them, Ron. Um, they do pretty much what you just described on a huge scale. They do immersive uh, film experiences. Oh. Uh, one of the last couple times I was in London, I was able to go see their um, Empire Strikes Back. Um, and basically they had an entire, uh, uh, maybe 120,000 square foot warehouse. It was what? gigantic. Um, and you go in, you, you have all this information beforehand where you're supposed to dress in a certain way. You go in uh, and you go into this, like, flight simulator. You crash land on Tatooine. You are inside. Oh you are God. literally on the planet Tatooine. <laughs> There's the cantina. There are all of these different um, 
little huts that you can go into and they're like and then you and then you get take you get captured and taken to the death star so then you wander around the inside of the death star oh and then you end up inside a hangar and you watch the empire strikes back so the wow. whole experience is like nearly five hours long Jesus right Christ. holy cow. um and for the first for the first two two and a half hours, mm. uh, you are in a quote unquote immersive experience, which mm. like uh, some of the characters are there. Narratively, it doesn't really the the focus is to kind of live in this world for a little bit, as opposed yeah. to like experience the whole story of it. Mm. So so there's like stuff to do. You like kick around. You can go see a whole bunch of different things. Um, and like the characters are wandering around a little bit, but you, you you don't necessarily follow like the the plot of Empire Strikes Back until you are all seated together in mm. the hangar when you do all watch it together mm. uh, but they've done a whole bunch they've got another one they've, they're doing moulin rouge right now they've done lawrence of arabia with like camels and sand dunes like the, they're insane well they're they're beautifully insane um <laughs> and so so like that that is a you know certainly a breeding ground between immersive theater and film um the the immersive work that we make or the reason that we make it um is because for me it has become um very quickly uh, the the genre the the kind of mode of storytelling that I find mm, most thoroughly cuts to the core of of human experience and that the kind of communications that can uh, that can exist between people inside an immersive experience um, and the the kind of um, uh, revelatory experience that can be accessed so quickly when you put someone into a world like that um, I I just find it to be more efficient than pretty much any other um, genre that i've that i've come across efficient that's a funny word yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's well, it, it's a yeah it's very i i taylor's been doing immersive theater for a long time i did come to it i came to it kind of working through working with him and so i still very much take an audience perspective i think on it very often and for me like watching immersive theater is is it's uh efficient is an interesting word it's 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 uh, it it gets yeah it gets to this level of connection that I think a lot of people, the concept of catharsis, which is kind of the center of, of lots of theater and, and, and film in a lot of ways, it gets there very quickly and in such a real way, in such that if you see the actors afterward, you're honestly, genuinely wondering whether that connection that you felt so strongly is still there. And, yeah. and, you know, and many people, you know, and I as an, as an experienced theater goer, stop myself, but I have to stop myself every time, but I stop myself and I go, no, it's not. <laughs> um, but I'm sure, and I, I, Taylor, I'm sure you know, because you perform a lot of them, a lot of people don't don't really uh, kind of remind themselves of that fact, and they do think that it's so real, because for them, it, it really was. It's Immersive yeah. theater makes is so so visceral in a way that a lot of other theaters has, 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 has struggles to get to that place. I think, I think what makes it the most, it, well, one of the things that makes it extraordinarily interesting uh, is that you are a fictitious character engaging with an audience member under fictitious circumstances. However, the engagement itself is honest and real. Yeah. So, so the fact is that like you are playing someone else who has whatever relationship with this stranger under fictitious circumstances. And then once you are a no longer in character and b no longer in those circumstances, that communication and that memory of that experience still exists for both parties. And, uh, as the performer, you have the power and the authority, and you know that you've like done that one on one three times that night, and so and and like ten times that week, and like a hundred times since the show opened, and so like you know that like that experience was part of 
very, very distinctly part of one of them. For an audience member who is perhaps seeing an immersive show for the first time, sometimes a thing can happen where where the like the boundaries get a little bit foggy and you do start to wonder like how much of this magic is real how much of this magic is performative how much of this is just like two people in a room together um or or like 20 people in a room together and like one of them is the performer and the other 19 are audience members you know watching the scene yeah um it's still it's still something totally different it it it, you have so much more to work with. Uh, if you're watching a film, you have your eyes and you have your ears. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And if you're watching a, a, a play or a dance piece, the same, the same senses are engaged, right? Or, or directly engaged, purposefully engaged. Whereas with an immersive piece, you walk into a space and all like the room feels different because you've gone into a whole bunch of different rooms, right? And it's and it's artistically and beautifully designed, so the space itself feels different. It smells different. You can see things, but you can also change your perspective. So your sight is activated more than just looking at a screen. You can go up to something or you can move it away from you. And then an actor will come in and lay a hand on your shoulder or something, and your touch is activated. All of these other ways for you to understand a story. So all of a sudden, your heart like instead of like just just accessing your heart through your eyeballs or your ears, you're accessing your heart through literally your entire body. Yeah, no, I love that. And you know, the Weekend Warrior event, we had this epic battle on Saturday night, and I'm telling you, the people got so worked up that then, yeah. all their they were there for that moment in time. It was a great acting experience, if you will, mm. just a, in a sense of mm. improv where you could. If you allowed yourself to be, we were no longer in Culpeper, Virginia, where we did this. We were in this fictitious kingdom of Oleron just for a moment. And we all yeah. allowed ourselves to go there. And it created this literal visceral response where people were sweating. And, mm-hmm. and the memories are true. You know, the memories, yeah, the memories are, are true. Yeah, and yeah. the activity is true. Yeah. Because in those moments, you were actually behaving as someone else That's right. with a bunch of people who were also actually also. behaving as other people. So even though you might right. go see Robert, your buddy who was there, and you know, and, and you guys go and get a beer, you go get yeah. coffee, whatever, like the the look in the eyes that you two shared at a at a you know at a specific moment right. when like the battle was happening like that was a sense of a sense of kinship or brotherhood or yeah. like protection or whatever it was that passed right. between the two of you and it and it connects your spirit to his and his to yours in a way that like you're not going to get by drinking a cup of coffee together yeah no you yeah. It, it is this immersiveness and I've, I've tried to articulate this to people from time to time. If I had a crystal ball and could look into the future, and you don't need to look far. You can see it's here with VR and everything else. But this immersiveness is something fascinating to me where back in the day, 15 years ago, nobody would dress up at a, at a rent fair, you know, maybe 10% of the people. Now go to a rent fair and it's like 80% of the people dress up at a mm-hmm. rent fair. You're kind mm-hmm. of the odd one out. And it's because people want that sense of immersiveness. Mm-hmm. So let me just take you through the... Uh, or do a follow-up question with the immersive theater company. I'm assuming it is exactly what it sounds, that as you're articulating, Taylor, that people can actually come up, the actor engages with the audience, and it truly is immersive where they're either the story is happening around them or with them, or they're actually even a part of the story. Is that accurate? So every show is different, Um, and every show... 
every show that even falls under the genre of immersive theater has has a, and every company and every show within every company has a different perspective and a different tactic on audience engagement. Um, and a lot of the time that depends on like the show itself and the location and a whole bunch of logistical questions. Um, an immersive show, I, I tend to uh, define it as a show wherein audience members uh, exist within the the scenic boundaries of the world. They're not sitting in seats. They mm-hmm. are within the the set itself. Okay. Um, sometimes that is extremely interactive. Sometimes it is it is much much less interactive and more purely immersive, where they are immersed in the setting, but they are not necessarily interacting with it or engaging okay. with it. Okay. Sometimes there are specific scenes where it is one audience member and one performer, and those get much more interactive. Sometimes it's a large scene or a huge scene where you'll have ten people uh, doing something like even quote unquote on a stage like area with like a couple hundred people watching it, but like it is still all part of the same genre. Yeah. Yuri, do you have anything? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I, I think that the yeah, it's, it's a funny thing to ask, yeah, as people are uh yeah, it takes on these various forms, but everything's kind of the toolbox is really open with immersive theater. Someone can literally be you know, we talk a lot and when we when we design immersive shows, we talk a lot about like who are you casting the audience member as. Huh. Interesting. They often oftentimes in the character work, even if they're not a person in the play that you're doing. Even if they never know that they're a person in the play that they're doing, they are someone to you as the character, and they're going to feel that throughout the the, the purpose. The purpose of an yeah. immersive scene, in most cases, is for, is for them to to feel that connection in truth. So, uh, you know, the like whether they get up and walk somewhere with you or they don't walk somewhere with you, it that's you know that's kind of a detail that really depends on what you're trying to achieve with the scene and kind of what the text is about. But but in most cases, they are someone in that world that belongs there and and you belong there and you belong there together and you're going through an experience together as as one would kind of in in life yeah that's one of the things that that is is i find is so important um that uh, a very important part uh uh, point that yuri just brought up which is casting your audience member as someone and and being extraordinarily clear with it because they um they look to you as as the authority in the space to tell them, you know, silently, you know, just with your eyes, just in the way that you behave towards them, who they are, to give them enough comfort where they're like, oh, I get it. He is looking at me as if I'm his mother. And then he came and just held my arm as if I was his mother. And now we're walking together. I, I really feel like this guy's mother. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, or, or he's looking at me like he wants to have sex with me. And now he's like, you know, flirting with me or like any, whatever it is, yeah. right? There are an, an innumerable number of options for how you can communicate these things with somebody but you sure. do have to be very clear about like who they are in the space even if you're just like walking past and you want this person to not follow you like there there are a million tactics to do that but what you do is like you cast them as somebody who you are not interested in right. and who is not going to follow you yeah right yeah so that tends to be the game that's the game of like at, when you're setting up an immersive you know scene or show is you've got your source material you've got your location and and the game is okay. Who? How are audience members a part of this world? How are we all a part of this world? Because without yeah. that, it's not really immersive. They're just kind of passively watching. Um, yeah, so no. it's actually a central part of it. I love it. it. It's fascinating, and one I'm glad we spent some time on because I do think as indie filmmakers, 
is that what I'm trying to convey is, and I know what Scott is as well, is think of your film as an IP, right? Not just a film. So really what I've been talking to filmmakers is really you're a storyteller and you're using film as your medium, but you're storytellers. And we need to be thinking that way for a couple reasons. One, shorts are much more pervasive and even a monetary option where they weren't just mm. even a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about VR in a little bit, and that's certainly a space as filmmakers we should be thinking about. But then you also have games and books and graphic novels, and it's you're really a storyteller at the heart of it, and film is is the palette of which we're doing, and you guys chose, chose theater. But then your subject matter of which you then went and filmed, you know, you chose Shakespeare, Hamlet, right? So... Mm. Talk to me about how you guys got from this immersive theater experience to choose a movie and if there was any relationship between film and immersive theater that really kind of inspired you guys. Yeah, it was a it was I want to I want to tell the story. It was a very delicate. uh, I think that, you know, the greatest ideas that that we have, at least that the shows that end up happening are those that come from this uh, moment of kind of concentrated inspiration and and the. (laughs) It, it if you if you plan it all out if you like sit down and go okay it's time to come up with the next big thing what could we do a film and it's just you know yeah so what you know as all as all these stories end up turning out we were all uh we were actually at the, a gala for a non-profit shakespeare company that i run called shakespeare in the square and our friend had just returned from a long euro trip and he was showing us photos of this castle he had stayed at Mm, cool. uh, and Taylor was looking at these photos and he comes up to me and he's like, Yuri, look at this, look at these pictures. Look at this castle. This, wouldn't it be amazing if we just like went to the castle with a bunch of actors and just like did Hamlet or something for no one just did it. I'd be like, yeah, that would be. And then we continued with the party. And the next morning I woke up and I remembered having this conversation I texted Taylor. I'm like, wait, can we really talk yeah. about this? Though, yeah. you know, and that, that the the whole, you know, what what excited us was this place and the idea of us taking this story that we're pretty familiar with because because we had worked with the Shakespeare Company quite a bit, and you know, we have a lot of training on that. Uh, Dan Hassey, the the co-director yes. of Hamlet, founded this company. Exactly, yeah, and yeah. we run it okay. together. And so, uh, having had all that experience, you know, the idea of just taking Hamlet and 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 just doing it in this space alone by itself is such an artistically fulfilling idea, and that's really where it started. And so, we just kind of started from there. We we're like, okay, well, what would that mean? What does it mean to take a bunch of actors to Ireland? Yeah, practically, it's yeah. It, the 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 impracticality of it rather quickly outweighed right. the uh, uh, artistic <laughs> merit yeah. of the idea. <laughs> so we went from we went from that down the the natural trajectory of like, well, we'll, well we make immersive theater. Okay, so let's, let's do an immersive show. We'll have it'll be in a castle. It'll be amazing. Uh, but then it's like, well, it's it's like way out in the Irish countryside. It's like two and a half hours away from Dublin, and like we don't even know anybody in Dublin. So right, yeah. <laughs> like, how are we going to get anybody to come see it? And they were like, well, okay, so what's a better way to do this? And then I don't actually remember who. It yeah, was. It I have was no idea. Who it was me, yeah. or Dan, or Jake. Somebody was like, well, what if we did a movie? And they were like, yeah. Okay, now we're talking. Yeah. And but- the context here is is that Taylor and I do a lot of immersive theater, but Dan has a he has a you know BFA in screenwriting and did a lot of student film at NYU, which is you know uh, you know a lot sure. of great 
yeah. filmmakers come out of NYU, and and he through through and kind of all through all of our connections with NYU are familiar are acquainted with a lot of really great filmmakers, and so it wasn't something that was like let's try a movie. It was kind yeah. of like well, a lot of us are also yeah. engaged in this other art form mm-hmm. that up until this point has been sort of separate. You know, like. Dan's running Shakespeare in a Square with me, and he's got a, he doesn't even have a degree in that. He actually studied film, and yet we've never done a film. And I've done a bunch of film acting before, but have you know I've never directed it. Um, so we 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 came up with this like the most practically sound idea uh, of like capturing this experience. Though the idea was still based in the experience, which was like okay. we're gonna go, we're gonna ship a bunch of people to Ireland, we're gonna live in a castle for a couple weeks. And we're going to make a movie. But we, of course, weren't just going to make a movie. We were also going to still do this immersive piece because how are you going to go and live in a castle and not have other people come into your castle with you? Exactly. So so we set up up, uh, 11 shooting days uh, as well as two immersive performances. Uh, And then we were feeling a little wacky. So we were like, well, let's get some other ideas in here. And Ben Wiganek, our production designer um, and one of the other uh, producers on the on the film, um, had just set up the he was the technical director for a Google pop up store in, in Soho and had some, you know, some friends he was working with there and was like, you guys, Google's come out with this insane new VR uh, rig called the Google Jump. It's like 16 GoPros around a wheel. And like, I just met the director of VR at Google yesterday. Like, maybe we oh, could yeah. communicate yeah. with them about this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, he, so he was yeah. able to reach through um, some of the people there, uh, uh, Brian Rose and Jess Brillhart and some of the other really wonderful people who are in charge of the VR department at Google, um, and w- was able to say, like, hey, you guys, you know, uh, we're interested in, like, perhaps – doing this. And this is exactly what you're talking about before, Ron, about taking one step up and not trying to take 10 steps up. Like to take one step up, you can get by with a really, really good idea. Right. To take 10 steps up, you have to, like, it has to be some random miracle. Yeah. But like, if you're going to take one step up and you have a great idea, people a step or two in either direction are still going to recognize the greatness of the idea. Yeah. And so like, the idea is cool. It's like we're going to ship 18 people to Ireland and we're going to like do this immersive experience in seven stories of this castle and two chalets and a ravine and a camp. And we're also going to make this you know beautiful film with this you know, incredible cinematographer, Corey Framenlot, shot this beautifully. Dan made a, a gorgeous adaptation. Um, and Katie and, and Ben had, had such insight into the art direction of the entire thing. Um, so whatever. So we, we get in contact with Google and they're like, you know, we, we have two jumps. Uh, one of them has been loaned out to a team for a variety of months. And the other one's been just loaned out to the National Theater um, in London. But then again, London's not that far from Ireland. So maybe uh, reach out to them. Here are a couple email addresses. So we reached out to the people at the National Theater. Um, and the, Google had actually lent their jump to the immersive storytelling studio at the National Theater in London, which is a, a an arm of the National Theater that is dedicated to exploring new store, new modes of storytelling yeah. to better to better. Um, allow audience members to to achieve uh, a different perspective and very specifically they they do the two things they do there are immersive theater and virtual reality wow and it's such a funny yeah it's such a funny you don't you you always think like oh those are kind of related but they were like fuck yes they're related (laughs) and they are and oh they are and oh they are 
So yeah. fortunately, they were um, they were really responsive to the stuff we sent them. We sent them a couple of decks. We had a you know a whole pitch process with them where we talked about you know, what the project was you know we had in mind for it and all this stuff and what we wanted from them, which was essentially the the jump and uh, a couple people from their team. And then they thought it was a really good idea to get this other company, VR City in London, involved because they're super VR pros. Um, and so it ended up that they came out. Uh, a handful of people from the National and from VR City came to see the uh, final uh, immersive performance. Yeah, and then the next God. day, we spent all day shooting this VR experience inside the castle and then about you know a couple of miles away at this ruined abbey. Holy yeah. cow. Man, yeah. this, this just sounds like, you know, what I love is kind of like what you're saying is that the, the, the good idea became great and everyone started to catch the vision yeah. and it just started to to grow <laughs> you know and it, and before you knew it you found yourself in ireland in a castle <laughs> like who doesn't want to do that you know who doesn't want to go i'm sure filmmakers out there are salivating uh a little bit so um i got a lot of questions but but one that i love because so I'm a fantasy and sci-fi nut. That's what I try to, to live in these worlds. So I've had visions of grandeur about going to specifically Ireland. And I've visited Ireland before mm. and filming there. And I know a little bit about their tax incentive program. Obviously, they film Game of Thrones there a little bit. So they have some infrastructure. But how did you guys even start to think about it? As, as you said, Taylor, we didn't know anybody in Dublin who's going to come, one, to our immersive theater and then – how are we going to get, you know, crew and everything over there? And how did that all happen? I mean, were there were there permits that you have to deal with? Was there mm. local hires that you had to deal with? Or and yeah, yeah. then I want to get into the castle where you find that. And I want to know the name of, of that because I want to call this guy. And yeah, you, yeah, he's a yeah. he's a great guy. Uh, yeah. yeah, there was a yeah, there's a lot of uh, production stuff like that. <laughs> Lo- logistically, it was quite complex, and <laughs> yeah. no one knows it better than Yuri. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I often serve the kind of like uh, the read the long documents role in these teams. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I mean, um, tax incentive wise, I actually wasn't able to crack too much in terms of tax incentives for a foreign production company in Ireland. I found that Ireland itself seems to focus a lot on Irish people making Irish things. They've, there's lots of grants and things like that there for that. The Irish Film Board is great for that kind of thing. And then they, they have some funding for um, Irish artists who want to go somewhere else. Oh, interesting. They'll fund okay. that kind of thing. Okay. But I didn't find... I mean, they were very nice people, but I, I didn't find a lot of opportunities to get an external you know, external company to get some tax incentives. But... Um, yeah, there's definitely the, the biggest thing, the biggest thing, that the, the biggest question that you always have to kind of deal with. And it's funny because immediately when we came back from Ireland, our friend was going to Cambodia. And so she's calling me up because I'm yeah. now the resident professional <laughs> yeah, sure, a, sure. a film it's over there, <laughs> having done it one time. Uh, the biggest thing is getting your equipment there um, because huh. um, the, the question is, you know, do you rent in, in, in sure. stateside or do you rent over there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in, in facilitating the conversation between the rental houses out in, in Ireland and our, and our uh, cinematographer, you know, he often said things like, you know, I, I've specified what I'm looking for here, but I don't know that they really have it. They say they have it, but maybe the measurements are different. Maybe the electrical systems are different. So there's always this trade-off of what do you get here? What do you get there? What do you absolutely, like, need? What is mission critical that, that the whole thing is just in a big issue if you, if you don't get it right? That's the kind of stuff you might so likely get here. And what's the stuff that you can work around that you can kind of 
delay for a day or two, this kind of stuff that we tried to get there. And so it was a split of that, you know, the, the, and the big thing about when you're taking stuff out of here and bringing it there is, uh, something called the carnet. And a mm-hmm. carnet is a document that you register with the governments of the, uh, country that you're leaving and the country that you're entering. And it is basically an exemption from import and export taxes. You're saying that I'm bringing in this equipment that has commercial value and I'm telling you that I'm bringing it in and I'm telling you exactly what I'm bringing in and how much it costs so that later on when I leave, you can see that I still have it. And so I haven't illegally sold this equipment while in this country and made money off of it without paying import export taxes. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, Carnets are super, super complicated. There's long pages. You have to like really get a lot of details on what you're getting. Uh, bringing in, bringing out, um, and so that's that's one of those are one of the big hurdles, and it's you know really the 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 life hack there is get that stuff early, know exactly what equipment you're renting, and honestly rent it like four days before uh, you have to fly out. Because then the other thing was insurance. Insurance was the other big thing. Sure, just yeah, real, real quick. Different. The reason <laughs> the reason he's saying uh, to get it four days early is because you not only need the make and model, mm. but you also need the country of origin yeah, of every yeah. piece and the serial number of every piece. Yeah. And you can't really ask for that information from a rental house. So if you're renting six lenses, you can't be like, hey, can you send me the country of origin exactly. and the serial number for all <laughs> these six lenses? That, yeah, that they're going to be like, just yeah. look at it when you get them. Because right. yeah. it's printed on the, you know, on the item itself. But you have to have all that stuff. Right. Yeah, yes, that was it. a big thing. Okay, so um, you got to add that into your budget. Okay, go ahead, Taylor. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was just also going to say that I have a, a, a funny story about our Carnet experience that isn't uh, informative mm-hmm. at all. So if there's time later, I'll tell it. But I'm going to let Yuri <laughs> yeah. carry on. If, and you then, want, if you want the Carnet story, just Yeah, the Carnet story is great. <laughs> yes, there are a nice. lot of them. And the other, great, the other great big important thing is insurance. Insurance works really different depending on which country you're in. And they're they, – their standards for stuff is completely like irrespective of each other and yet uh, consistent within the country. And so there was this huge game I was playing where. <laughs> that sounds like a story right there. Sorry. Yeah, this is. I'm summing, I'm summing this all up now in like a 10 minute conversation. I this forgot, is like yeah. a saga. There I forgot how complex yeah. this was. Uh, <laughs> it was this game you're playing where, you know, the, the, in, the insurance standards of Ireland, and it's different in every country, I'm sure, is you need like $7 million of coverage per event, 7 million euros of coverage per event in Ireland. Wow. Whereas the standard in America is $1 million. Yeah, it's a million, right. <laughs> so we were trying to so get we're trying American to get, yeah, <laughs> for 7 million euros. And they're like, what we're the like, hell? Why would you need yeah. that? And then, I'm, and then I'm like, so I'm like going around and people are quoting me like astronomical prices. <laughs> it had to be crazy. Insurance. Yeah. Like, like yeah. approximately like seven times as much as you think it might expect. Right. Because to them it's seven, seven times. Yeah, policies. exactly. And then so finally I end up thinking like what if I what if I call an Irish insurance company? What would what could happen? Yeah. And so I call an Irish insurance company and they're like, Oh yeah, that's real simple. That's like That's average. Yeah. Yes. That's, 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 that's what we do. Average. Yeah. That's that like if us. you're doing yeah. an event at a school, we'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, and then but then you're dealing with the fact that if you're trying to buy insurance from an Irish place, you need an Irish address to register that under that are, register that under and so what really helped there is that we happened to have one local uh person that was uh, that ended up being an associate producer on the on the um project called mark logan he actually lived there so we registered the insurance under his nice. name and that was kind of a big save there but those are yeah those are kind of some things that you want to think about and you know um 
it, we, if you're going to, yeah, it's a trade off. Cause if you don't have that local Irish location, you might end up having to pay this, like maybe tens of thousands of dollars for insurance for an American company to insure you for foreign production. And it can get, you can get pretty crazy. So those are kind of the hurdles. And really the only it's, it's going to be different every show you do. Yeah. Some of the stuff you like, like who knows what, yeah. what the insurance is like, even if we were to go to, uh, you know, France, yeah. like who knows? It's like, a couple hundred miles, but like it's it's a completely different country, different country with completely yeah. different rules. So exactly. like some of this stuff is just so specific. It's it's one of those things. It's like well, hurdles pop up in front of every production. Yeah. So like yeah. you make sure you've got a great you know hurdle athlete Yuri Pavlish <laughs> to like <laughs> conquer all of those. Yeah, yeah. No. Definitely. No. That is the the role of the producer. You got to be a problem solver, right? You, you know. Absolutely. You, you definitely gotta gotta do that. So if I'm tracking all this, you had an 11 day shoot. Two mm. performances, the VR experience afterward, 18 people. It was that the total you guys took over? That's right. Yep. Over to, to the end. So what was your what was your prep time there? Did you guys do storyboards when you guys said, okay, we're mm. going to do live performance. We had a VR experience and we're going to be doing shooting this to capture mm. it for film. Mm. What was the – take me through the prep a little bit. Prep time was – Prep time was about six months of like real work. Uh, the idea, the conception of the idea was July. Um, originally, we were like, let's ball this thing together and ship out in September. This is last September, right. a year, and, um, you know, 13 months ago, 14 right. months ago almost. Um, and, uh, and we were like, all right, well, well let's see. Because the way that I liken these projects to uh, their, their occurrence to happening um, is, is like a. Um, it's like a big boulder uh, and and a hill, right? And so, like, the idea happens to, like, one or a small group of people who start to put hands on this boulder and push it up the hill. And the more people that, you know, continue to, like, take steps up this hill, the more hands get, you know, put on it, the faster it starts to go. And at some point, the boulder falls down the other side of the hill and nobody has any control over it anymore uh, in terms of it happening. You all yeah, still have yeah. control over you. You can, still, you like, can direct it a little bit. You can yeah. direct it, but like <laughs> the project's happening. Yeah, it's yeah. Gone. Um, and so from conception, you know, first hand laid on the boulder, which was July. Uh, and then, and then we, we rescheduled that, you know, the September it was just ridiculous. It was going to, it was never going to, it was never going to work like that. But so we rescheduled it to like late March, early April of this year. Um, and then, and then put in about six, really solid months of production meetings. Uh, did we start production meetings every week for the whole time? Yeah. Production meetings every week with the, with the core production team as well as rehearsals. Um, and the point of the rehearsals over that entire process was to rehearse the story was to rehearse the experience was to rehearse the idea of what was happening here and to grapple with our actors uh, and and the story of Hamlet at such a depth that it didn't matter if we were doing immersive theater. It didn't matter if we were doing film. It didn't matter if we were doing VR. The point is that the scene exists, that we understand the scene and we know what's happening here. So like if there's a camera right here and we're like shooting a close up, like all of our actors uh, amazingly are are brilliant and skilled enough to yeah. know the difference performatively between a camera and you know someone on the other side of the room, um, and 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 the point of that long time of of rehearsing really regularly was was to dive deep enough into it and to be um, as considerate and thorough as possible with it, so that uh, when we got there 
we we knew that it's like all right well you know you're on film today so like you know what you'll do you know you're you know you know the performances tonight so like you'll know you like whatever it is um but the 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 core of it was what we really needed to build before that yeah so and then these, were these shakespearean uh veterans or were they a lot of them yeah. uh a lot of them uh, Almost all of them have done more stage than film. Uh, a lot of them have done a, a bit of film as well. Some have done some TV as well. Um, some had never been on film before at all. But this is one of the other things that I will stand by no matter what, uh, is that in, in, if you can trust someone, um, you don't necessarily need their resume to speak very loudly. Uh, like, like it was very, very clear that like, for instance, Jonathan and Beth Ann Hopkins, right. They played Polonius and Gertrude married in real life. I don't think either of them had done any film before and blow it out of the water Yeah, they were really because good. they are amazing performers. They are right. truly gifted, skilled actors who know Shakespeare damn well. They're both very, very smart people. And like the fact remains that, that for you to play to the back of the house is just a different kind of uh, tuning than for you to play to a camera or right. for you to play to someone in a one-on-one in a room next to you. All of those things, like, like the, the point is the text, is the story, is the communication, is what's happening. Um, so, and, yeah. and, all, and, all, and I will say that pretty much every, every actor has had pretty extensive uh, experience with Shakespeare. Uh, yeah, definitely, and that's that's sort of a, a table stakes when it comes to doing Shakespeare, especially Hamlet. Uh, and also your question about storyboarding, we actually storyboarded very extensively as well. We storyboarded the whole entire thing, and we pretty much mm. did all of the work that could have possibly been done having never seen the location. Oh, wow, okay. Yep. <laughs> which yep. is which is not all of it, obviously, but yeah. we, we, really, we really front-loaded all of this work up to the point where we were, like, building, you know, we were building a house with space for a room, yeah. And the room was the actual the thing, the place right. where we were going to be. And then we get there, and we're like, okay, we've uh, we got it. Seen yeah. all the photos and watched all the videos, and we kind of like can slot in, like, okay, this is what this room is actually like. That's how that thing is going to go. Yeah. Uh, and so we did a lot of this prep work because we didn't have a lot of time, right? You know, we we needed to have it storyboarded hardcore because you get there and it's day one of eleven. And we need and eight hours. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the movie, doesn't, the movie happen. doesn't happen. Yeah. And so no, was, no. Yeah. Your your guys' timing was just. Yeah, I mean, it had to be tight. It had to be time. Tight. Time was so unbelievably oh, yeah. tight that that was why you know so much preparation work went into it yeah. here. Because if it hadn't, it wouldn't have existed. It yeah. simply, it quite simply, would not have existed. Absolutely. So this is just a curiosity question. Did you guys do accents or or no? No. Well, everyone had their had their traditional American just, stage, yeah. stage dialect. Okay. But yeah. No. Now, is that a choice you made, Taylor, or was that kind of just from experience, having done it, or? That was, well, it's based on a couple different things. That wasn't even really a conversation that came up. Uh, in all of the Shakespeare that I've done, I've never done uh, a British accent. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. in well, I've done a Cockney accent, like, for a specific character in a specific show, mm-hmm. but, like, only ever for character purposes. Like, at the end of the day, the way that people spoke in 1600 in England sounds as different from modern British dialect as it does from modern American dialect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are some people who studied, who, who studied, I can't remember who it was. It was uh, maybe the, the director of the, 
uh, of the globe. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the there's a video he does where yeah. he where he actually actually does monologues in the traditional yeah. kind of the accents right. no, that they've I've been able to excavate, yep. and it's it's so different. So it's different. like yeah. wow. Yep. It's like it's halfway between modern Irish and modern Virginian. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's studied based on Shakespeare's text using the meter and the rhythm and the rhyme of right. it. So, so who like, really knows? Like like presumably that is a better idea than, you know, no guess at all, but like it's probably also slightly off. And yeah. like at the end of the day, who is our audience and and why would we put on a bunch of accents that are, you know, simply another accent yeah Yeah. one of the things that we really borrowed from our experience doing shakespeare in theater is that uh shakespeare has gone through so many iterations of productions that uh there's a there's uh the rules have changed the performance rules have sort of changed for what an audience will accept and so things like genders being the genders that you normally think they would be have really been stretched uh doubling has been stretched to the point where we actually doubled uh actors in this film Hmm. And are and and kind of in, included it in the way that we're uh, presenting because the 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 kind of conceit of the beginning of the movie is that it's eight actors going to a castle to live the the life of Hamlet, you know the original idea. the original idea, sure. uh, and so that they they come they they you first see them as just people in modern day and then they put on their costumes and they take them off and they put them back on throughout the the movie. Um, and so the, you know, doubling was used, all these kind of tropes. And so the, yeah, things like accents and all these other things that kind of are, are, uh, used to make the production quality more realistic have, have in, in over the past couple hundred years have been sort of let go for, for Shakespeare mm. specifically. And, and, uh, it's allowed for a greater flexibility and kind of what you, you can, uh, put on stage. And I really think has improved uh, has improved the um, the production quality of it in a lot of ways. Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I love the uh, just the way that you guys are coming at the way to tell story, just the unique differentiating factor you guys have have done for this. And then, um, well, talk to me a little bit about where you guys are at in the post-production process. It's going so well. I'm so happy with it. I'm not even, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm so, it's going really well. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounded like, when, when did you guys do this? You guys did this, was it, uh, was I reading that right too, Taylor? It was was like a year ago, a little over Uh, a year ago? Wrapped April 5th. Yeah, we wrapped, we wrapped, so, so yeah, about seven months ago, uh, six months ago. Holy moly. See, I mean, in most indie filmmakers, it's like a five to seven year average yeah. You know, from like conception of like, I think I'm going to do a movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You think yeah. it's a year later. No, it's five to seven years. So that's a, oh, the yeah. other thing that I love that you guys have done is you just went and did it. Now, you guys are getting the the project. You're going to have it in hand. What's kind of your – well, first of all, what's your assessment of it? Is it everything you thought it would be? Is it even better? I've gotten to see just a few clips, and I got to say, um, was it – who did the cinematography? Corey Freeman Love shot on a Sony CD. Holy yeah. man, He's Corey, so this stuff is beautiful. This yeah, stuff is beautiful. Okay. Yeah, it um, looks good. The man you know, I was nice. a little concerned because again, it was the time you guys had eleven days to shoot. Certainly, there was no. You don't get a sense of that in the story. Mm-hmm. The actors felt um, they felt real and authentic and present. You know, there was. It was really well done, the the stuff I've gotten to see. So I'm very eager to see the end product. And you guys obviously are behind the veil a little bit. 
is yeah. are you guys like oh yeah we you know this is something we we got something where are you at with that from like a producer we feel very good we yeah. feel, i mean it's it's amazing because you see you see like um we saw all the footage after our editor who is a genius yeah. phil felino um after he had cut together just the first assembly it was like two hours and 40 minutes long something like <laughs> sure. this yeah. so um right. which yeah. like i mean hamlet's a four-hour story yeah so, yeah. Like, so it's not he actually day. cut some stuff out yeah yeah yeah. Well, yeah yeah well the adaptation first and then he adaptation yeah. already cut some stuff out and then he you know was so first assembly and we were like wow this is we feel great about this we all went over to to dance and like i think there were six or seven of us yeah, sat yeah. down and watched it and we're like some of us were moved to tears just by the fact really that we had done no, it. that it happened of course, <laughs> there. Of course. so my theory is every filmmaker that gets to the point of getting into the can should immediately win an oscar and then mm-hmm. later we can debate like performance better, but immediately yeah. you yes. should just walk on stage totally. thank you i finished you know right yeah <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, it, feel, it does done. feel that way yeah yeah um but so so since then it has undergone a great deal of change obviously mm. too um uh it is now exactly two hours long so a good 30 to 40 minutes from the original assembly have been cut out uh our color uh our colorists over at irving harvey have done an incredible job um, and and like completely change the mood and the look of the film mm. looks gorgeous. Um, our, our our sound mixer and editor uh, uh, Arjun, Arjun Chef. Chef at Final Frame um, has also made it like like the world changes so much, yeah, so much. Oh and God. everyone will tell you. And like I I'm sure I'm revealing exactly how much of a new bio filmmaker right. I am <laughs> with this next comment, um, but. Everybody will tell you how important sound is. <laughs> and, and so, like, we, I mean, like, our budget for the whole thing has been tight. And we're, like, we're, you know, busting busting our humps through post to, like, try and bring this thing together, too. And we're, like, kicking over a couple different ideas. Do we want, like, kind of a younger sound editor who will, like, take a little bit more time with it but, like, cost less money? Or do we want to send it to, like, a really legit house like Final Frame, which is going to be more expensive. But, like, we know for damn sure they're going to do an amazing job. Yeah. And then, like... And and so we're like kicking around this question and everyone we talk to is like sound is really important. Mm-hmm. Just don't screw it up. Yeah. And so we're like, all right, well, we'll we're going to do it. it. We'll pull the trigger. We'll do yeah. what we have to do and like have it. And it changes everything. Mm-hmm. It yeah. changes everything. So huge. A story is told so mm-hmm. much through the way that you hear it. And it's not even just like how good the sound on location is or like how good the sound editing or the, the dialogue editing is like the world exists separately from what you see as what you hear and when you have an amazing combination of those two like yeah the thing the thing Mm -hmm. takes off on a rocket ship yeah yeah Yeah, no it you know the the sound is an essential element and i was kind of told the same thing you know as an early filmmaker that's where i kind of spent the money and then you add in the soundtrack and all these other elements i mean it does and that's one of the things i love about filmmaking is the artistic collaboration how many artists actually come together i mean you guys which i love keep giving credit to everybody else you know which is the producer's thing you know all these other amazing people because you know it took a team to make it happen life isn't done in isolation and neither is filmmaking it not is not meant to be done in isolation you guys mentioned uh, just briefly can you talk a little bit about budget like approximately what was it and then even where potentially did you guys come up with the capital yourselves do a crowdfunding campaign get angel investors what was that kind of schema yeah. to make that happen so i've crowdfunded uh a few, one show with throw the bones before i think just yeah, just the seagull just right? the seagull was crowdfunded um but like there it uh 
it's good and it's bad. Crowdfunding is, mm-hmm. is good and it's bad, right? It's a stressful, difficult process. Making money is a stressful, difficult process. Yeah. So whether you're going to ask everyone you know for it or you're going to like find other routes for it, whatever, um, it's it's difficult in its own way. Uh, the budget for this was, was you know, tight from the get-go. Uh, it was pretty much enough to like make the thing happen, and 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 one of the and and nothing else, um, and <laughs> and that we, specifically means just to get the film shot and on a hard drive, and that's all the money we had at first. We did yeah. not have the money for posts until we got there, <laughs> and and uh, not not meaning not until we got to Ireland, but not until we got to so post. we got to, to post, post, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, um, there, that is an industry um, an option that you know a lot of indie filmmakers need to know about is that. It's it it can be a little nerve wracking at times, right? But sometimes you um, you just speed steamroll, and that's what it's called, steamrolling into production. You just know yep. you're going to create. You hope that you're going to create enough magic, because production is the fun, isn't it? Isn't that the sizzle? That's the, yes. that's the fun. It is. Oh, absolutely. And 100%. all of a sudden on Facebook, everybody in social media, you're have you have stuff that you can post versus, hey, go look at my pitch deck and give me 10 grand. It's like, no, yeah. no, no, look at these stills. Look at some of this footage. Exactly. This is raw. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. people can catch the vision and you know you can kind of get through post. Almost every project I've had to kind of do that. So, mm. um, no, I can yeah, appreciate it's tough. that. I mean, yeah. and, and stressful too because, I mean, and, and if people are looking at this as an option for like making their production happen, then they should also know that it is one of the reasons that like your first indie feature will take five to seven years because you'll yep. like you'll shoot the thing you'll get done with it you'll have spent all your cash you'll be going into post production which costs as much as or more than right. you spent on the film Absolutely. and is going to take longer so so like know that when you are done when you have shot your final shot when you've drank your martini at the end of the last day you are like approaching halfway yeah, there's a whole journey ahead of you, and and that's just getting post. And then after that, there's a whole journey of what do I do with this film? <laughs> like, no, certainly distribution. Yeah. And all this so stuff. as we're coming down a little bit to our time, I didn't want to miss an opportunity to briefly at least talk a little bit about um, well, two things. But the first one is VR. So this, mm. you know, you don't need to know that that is a definitely a you know in the future because it, it's now, right? It's not mm-hmm. in the future. It oh, yeah. is yeah, here, yeah. and it is here to stay. And it's a really fascinating, interesting world. But as a filmmaker, I do find it challenging of how to figure that space out. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, on one hand, I hear people define it as, well, it's the 360. And then it's like, no, 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 there's a whole, you know, virtual reality, something else. So help me understand a little bit about uh, the VR and, and your particularly your experience with VR. Sure. Uh, You want to talk about our experience and then I'll talk about like what i think about yeah that. yeah yeah our experience was well it's yeah it's definitely kind of it, it to us it really crosses into what theater is you know vr has to be shot it's it's a one shot more or less you have to do the whole thing there's no you know scene cuts or if there are there you have to make these like funky transitions and stuff and like that it, yeah yeah mask it all um there's no uh, there's no oh, there's no behind the camera because the camera's all around. So everything in the room is actually what's in the room. There's no guy holding a boom. There's right. no lights uh, or the lights have to be hidden or yeah. existing. You yeah, know what I mean? Practical. Yeah, and there are and you know there are some tricks you can play which we learned. One of the one of the biggest we came in we came in knowing that, and then one of the things that we luckily learned from VR City is that you can play with that. 
um, and, and do something like uh, these things called plates where you shoot the VR and it's in 360, but the first time you shoot it, you're only thinking about the stuff kind of eight feet b- above the ground. Like the top half of the sphere, yep. the, the northern half. Yeah. Break it, break it. Okay. Exactly, yep. and then so you only fa- so you keep all the lights below. Yep, and then and then wow. you're you're seeing all that, and then you pull all the lights above, and yep. then you film the stuff below eight feet, and then you put them together in two plates. So there there are some kind of games you can play with that, okay. which are kind of I think cool. instrumental in making in making real VR. But uh, yeah, but it really it really would, it struck me with how much it was. It was it was the the most theater part of the film experience that really was because it was one take, it, the same take over and over again. Uh, you had to be mindful of the 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 audience member. The camera was really an audience member that I I like threw a sword above the audience member's head and then I slashed above or other head and I like dashed around them and all this kind of stuff. So it uh, it really is is to me the the convergence of 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 uh, VR and theater and that's how filming it really felt. Yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah. Fun. in terms of creating this this stuff, I think that a, 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 one of the reasons that that generally filmmakers can get hung up on how to tell a story in VR is because it is so wildly different from uh, from traditional filmmaking. Um, like the with filmmaking, like the very understanding of how to create it, like the the, the language that is used to describe it, like the camera mm. is is the filmmaker mm-hmm. yeah. and the frame is the lens and like the the filmmaker's mm-hmm. design of those two items is what creates a film and it's so how much the, control is how the story yeah, is told right and like when cuts come mm-hmm. is when perspective shifts mm-hmm. and like all like like the whole process of it is 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 what it is to make a film right but what it is to make a vr piece is really what it is to put an audience member into an experience and just let them be there so my experience with immersive theater was extraordinarily helpful for me because i'm used to creating an environment where the whole thing is activated and i'm used to creating a space where an audience member can look wherever they want so we were able to create an experience that that said, okay, our audience members here, they can look wherever they want, but they can't move. So how are we going to create a story, a narrative that like has one general through line, but also has stuff all around to keep them engaged? So if they look behind them or they look to each side or up into the gallery or down at their feet, like how are we going to have all of this space active at once? And um, I think I think to like to take a step away from like storytelling through film and instead just to look at it as like as if you had never made a film before and to say, okay, what what is what happens to the viewer? Oh, they're in a space and they can look at all this stuff and then ask the questions like, okay, what's the most amazing shit I could do then? Like if they could be looking in any direction, what kind of tricks can I play? What kind of magic can I make happen? What kind of stuff can I do that is going to absolutely thrill someone in this experience and not even really think about what it is to make a film because it's just different. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. I love the idea of VR. I have a friend of mine that has uh, a couple cameras. We've been talking about which story is the right one because that's the, you know, not every story is the right one for the medium, but certainly want to go play in that uh, and that world and that immersiveness is something that uh, is appealing. So the other thing I wanted to to talk about briefly and where we've all had a little bit of conversation is where we're at with distribution. Mm. Where are you guys? Uh, where are we going to be able to see Hamlin in the Golden Vale yet? Or do we do we know yet? Or is that still kind of being worked out? I know there's some good opportunities before us, but talk to me a little bit about the distribution 
uh, options. And then even if, um, you know, D- DIY is an option, adult, just kind yeah. of the whole conversation. And then how about mobilizing people? Where can we as the audience kind of get behind this and uh, mm-hmm. be a part of it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and much of, especially in the early days of ev- everything that I knew about distribution, I learned from you Nice. and, you know, in having conversations with you and you have this great video where you kind of break down what mainstream distribution looks like. And so that's, as I always do, I did a lot of reading and I did a lot of studying and, and, uh, kind of learned what the options are for the different groups. I think where we are right now is that we're applying to film festivals and, and, you know, we're, we're looking to add uh, star power to our movie through a uh you know what a traditionally successful festival run would be mm-hmm. uh because we don't have we don't have any like name actors in the in the sense that you would normally hear about in hollywood and we don't have you know a, a topic that is quote unquote hot right now and so the thing that the thing that could <laughs> it's a bunch really of no names doing shakespeare yeah, not gonna love it. yeah um but it's you know and so we, what we what but what we do have is this you know this this art that we believe in and so if the festival circuit uh you know responds to that then we could have a successful festival run and that's going to be a uh you know a calling card for a distribution conversation i think that ultimately what we want to do is start with uh kind of a limited uh, theatrical release, uh, both uh, domestic in, in, in a limited way, but, you know, in kind of big cities, New York, L.A., that kind of thing, and, and really hoping that uh, international is going to open some opportunities because I really think that uh, there are some international markets that would like this kind of thing, and the people that we've talked to have suggested as much. And then, uh, and that, that will, that could, that could be a contract with someone that picks us up at a festival, but it could be DIY, and I'm totally into that. The idea of just like hitting up Angelica and being like, hey, I, I've got this movie. It did like this at this film festival. Yep. We'll put this up. We'll settle tickets. We'll split it and have that conversation. I'm totally comfortable having a conversation now. And I look forward to that if that happens. And after that, I think it's VOD, yep. you know, and, and or or VOD or uh, the other side of that, which would be, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon and kind of trying sure. to get those deals together and, and figuring out how that works. Yeah, the hope is the hope is for a, a, a festival run that engages really well with the VR experience and the feature happening yeah. together, and that they get behind the the multifaceted experience of this story that has been so thoroughly a part of it from the inception of it, um, and then people just get really excited about it, and and then maybe we sell it to somebody. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right on. No, I think <laughs> that's, that's right that's on. Taylor, what you hope is for, it, right? Yeah. No, that is the the what I love about the idea, and um, you know uh, when when Kay reached out, it it's the concept right that that wins the day it, she was able to briefly explain it to me i immediately caught it i caught the vision and then you know was like wait a minute there's a vr element to it and they actually went to ireland and was in a castle for living all these like check marks if you will mm-hmm. gets to a point where a a viewer says i want to see that and see that's yeah, you yeah. know that is an as a filmmaker exactly. that's where we want to be as a storyteller you want to be where someone is is leaning forward in their chair with anticipation of like okay I want to see how they pulled it off I'm going to see what they're talking about and again when I got to see some of the footage I was like then I was leaning back in my chair like uh oh they got they got something here this is this <laughs> is nice it's <laughs> looking good it's hitting all the points for me and <laughs> and so I'm I'm really hopeful for this so 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 take me down then uh, Yuri where where can people find you guys um where can we get behind you and kind of like you know watch this and cheer you on as we all do as fellow filmmakers absolutely yeah well the best place the best place to check it out is the our website www.hamletinthegoldenveil.com 
Um, and that's and you know you can if you're if you're the kind of person that wants to get updates on email, uh, that would be a great place to look. Another place to kind of see the kind of the future of our our innovations as such, because Hamlin and the Golden Veil has its life, but also us as a theater company, uh, we're the theater company called Roll the Bones. So that would be www.rollthebonestheater.com. And theater is uh, spelled British, R-E, British, yeah, British Lee. <laughs> um, and so those are the kind of the two places to kind of see on updates on kind of what's going on. And I think another really good place to go would be our Instagram. Okay. Uh, which is uh, Hamlet in the Golden Vale, one word. And our Instagram is going to have lots of kind of uh, short kind of quippy like we got into this festival yeah. or we got this kind of distribution or here's a photo from where we're at and so those would be the two places that i would really recommend okay uh, yeah, if, you, us on. if you head to the website hamlet and the um and vale is v-a-l-e mm-hmm. uh, uh as in valley um then that'll have all the information yeah. and you can yeah. you can come navigate the website there well, I love it, guys. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for you guys. I love that you guys are fellow film troopers. You know, you have that um, just entrepreneurial spirit. You just saw the idea. You went out and did it. I'm proud of you just for going out there and doing it. You know, so super excited to be able to see the finished product. And uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be watching. I'm already following you guys on on Instagram. I'm on your email list, and and so amazing. Uh, I'm a fan, and I'll make sure that I, I help get the word out and get people mobilized because that's what we need, right? We need to need to back each other stuff and then mobilize Absolutely. mobilize 100%. the fan base. The the power is in the unity of all of us. You yeah. Know? All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for your time. You guys have a great night. If there's something else that I can do, please do let me know. Otherwise, we will see you guys online and we'll keep an eye out uh, at our festival So, because it will be coming to a festival near you, fingers crossed. So let's get out there and support Hamlet in the Golden Vale. Thanks, guys. Ron, thanks nice for everything. It's Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Film Trooper, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs.